I would like everybody to know that this question we have about whether Ferris Bueller's day off is popular with Gen Z is not unique to us. There's an actual <laughs> entire Reddit thread on is Ferris Bueller's day off a popular movie for your generation? And? <laughs> Uh, I think Ferris would probably be associated with a Ferris wheel more than the movie. I like it. My parents like it more than me, but I wouldn't immediately think of it if I heard the name. I can't speak for my generation as a whole, but I have seen it several times. Nice. So Mixed bag. If kids are so required to read Catcher in the Rye, they're going to know what Ferris Bueller <laughs> this is. This is not. No, 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 no. Strike that from the record. How dare you? <laughs> And welcome to Another Bite, where we rewatch some of the most innovative and intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Jory, and I'm joined by Ariel. Hey, everyone. And John. How's it going? Instead of love, death, and robots, today's episode is thematically sun, death, and robots. Although, I'll tell you a secret. John actually thinks this episode is all about death. Death of a loved one, death of productivity, and death of the beach chair. But before we get into any of that, the topic, more uncomfortable than death, ads. <laughs> so first in the tank, we have Parting Stone, and that is where all of this death theme comes from. And it comes to us from Justin Crow, who is asking for $400,000 for 5% in his business, which is an $8 million valuation. So the problem that Justin is trying to solve is that when you cremate a loved one, you essentially receive their remains in a very awkward and uncomfortable garbage bag. You get like a sack of ashes and it's really sad, right? Because then you take this sack of ashes and you put it in an urn and then maybe that urn stays on the top of your table, but maybe it gets relegated to the basement and like no one needs gramps in the basement forever. <laughs> so rather than scattering your ashes or dealing with like really uncomfortable packaging for your loved one's ashes, you have parting stone and Parting Stone is a business that is turning the cremated ashes of your loved ones into decorative polished stones. So it's essentially solidified remains. And the pitch included a cameo from Justin's own grandfather, who has been uh, solidified into these lovely 60 parting stones. And it's all done with a proprietary binding agent that just somehow is solidifying these dead bodies into lovely stones you can put into your garden. So thinking about our pitch and our product and our ask, initial thoughts? I think this is an incredible product idea. It lets you hold the remains of your loved ones. It lets you display those in a non-intrusive way. And it presents the opportunity to skip those remains on a pond if you happen to be on a lakeshore. <sighs> Just like you always did no. with your grandfather. Are we allowed to joke? I don't know. Can we make jokes Just, about this? You have to. You have Grandpa to. Grandpa. I'm so uncomfortable talking about this. Ugh. It's going to be an uncomfortable episode if we can't make light of a difficult topic. Okay. I'm not actually suggesting anybody skip the remains. But I do like skipping stones. They do look arguably smooth for the stones, I will say. They're they look very like superb smooth. skipping stones. If I was to mm -hmm. describe them, I'd say it's a box of 40 perfectly shaped stones for skipping. <laughs> well, listen, I'm about to get a little personal here. Mm. I am married to the daughter of a funeral director. I have an inside line to this industry and this business. And so I called my father-in-law last night. Phoned a friend. Yep. I asked him for some gut reactions to this product. I pitched him on the product. I think I did a pretty okay. good job pitching it. Here were his reactions. Number one, his first reaction was, this is a really good idea. 
And if I had come up <laughs> with this idea 30 years ago, I wouldn't still be a funeral director today because I would have sold a lot of them. So first reaction, I'm getting really good validation from the target market for this product. His reaction to the price point, at first he was like, ooh, thousand dollars for a parting stone that feels a little high but then when he found out it was multiple parting stones mm -hmm. he said oh i'm not sure that is too high because he brought up some really good points about what people like to do with cremains which by the way they're called cremains you know the remains I just are learned a new word i always yes. learn a new word now and also did you know that the contraption that produces cremains is called a retort no what <laughs> about that for a big word <laughs> like a legal retort like yep that's just... the name of it he got right into it. He was like, oh, well, you know, the retort. And oh. I was like, what's a retort? I've been known on the podcast for big words. I have to get that in there. <laughs> anyway, the thing that he brought up was that a lot of people are looking for ways to give every member of the family a part of the remains, actually, which is like hmm. a lot of people like, you know, if a grandparent passes away and they have many children and many grandchildren, like in theory, parting stones is incredible because every family member could get one stone. And that's actually a common thing that he talks to his clients about, which is like, you know, is there a way to make the memory of this person available to many more people here? So I got a lot of very early positive feedback. Hmm. He also did say this isn't the only product on the market like this. Hmm. He's not aware of another stone product, but there are other products where you can put cremains into glass shapes, such as paperweights hmm. or a rose or something like that. And so there are people that are starting to go down this path. So I'm feeling incredibly bullish on this product. And for that reason, I'm in. Well, for all those reasons you stated, John, I feel like I'm going to have to say I'm out. What? <gasps> I'm out. I know. I know. Let's break this down. So it, it is great to know that there is an audience out here that would want to get 60 stones of grandma. I totally understand that. But for me, it just seems so... I just have so many pieces. Like I understand having a handful of stones, but what are you going to do with an entire sack of stones? Name anything that you have 60 of, much less bone pieces. Yeah. 60 is a lot of stones. It's a lot. And I just feel like it's just, it's too many, too many pieces for the everyday consumer. But it's interesting that your father-in-law says that this is something for a market of having more quantity to like be able to disperse and share. But mm. I don't know. I think format wise, there could have been a different format. Why stones? So I think stones is an interesting point. But the reason that I'm very pro this business mm -hmm. is its business model, I think was really unique. You mentioned that the funeral directors are part of their target audience, right? And I think that this is interesting because it has a really strong B2B play, like business parting stone to funeral homes that can act as that intermediary. But it also goes direct to consumers. And one thing that got brought up is as of the pitch being only available in about like 600 funeral homes currently, there's like so much more businesses that parting stones could be partnering with on top of the fact that they're only currently 95% human cremains, but they're starting to break into the pet market. And maybe again, it's where I'm at in my life stage, but I can understand the draw of a pet being turned into a stone a lot more than I can mm -hmm. grandma being turned into a stone. And that's something that Kevin brought up as this being kind of like a recession-proof business, which I'm going to also need you to help me unpack because it's like people are always going to die. And now people are trying to think of different ways besides the traditional burial to honor their loved ones and their pets, which is this completely undisturbed market, like ready for innovation. I have a hot take. Just because an industry is recession proof 
doesn't make it invincible. And I think there's a fine line between those two things. Tell me when more. I think of recession proof, you have to think about it in terms of these are industries that are most resistant to recession, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to always be constantly thriving. So you think of things like healthcare or food and beverage. People are always going to need to eat and have access to medical supplies, but they also still suffer in the same way from recessions within their own interest. But I think this is one of those instances where just because there is a market for it and there's a huge upside and a huge TAM, does it mean you should do it? I'm not entirely convinced. Yeah. I think the concept of recession-proof industries is really interesting. I mean, looking at my portfolio, clearly I am not recession-proof myself. Who is these days? <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I do think the idea of going into the funeral business is good business because people are always dying and people are always getting married. You know, so by that dimension, I kind of understand Kevin's take on that, which is like, it's nice to have that in your portfolio. And I think, you know, anytime you're building a portfolio of investments, if you're a shark, I think it is interesting to think about how do I build a good portfolio of things that are really high beta that totally depend on the economy? And then what are things that are more like steady state? And I agree with you, Ariel, just because it's recession proof doesn't mean it's invincible by any means. But you know, you see what happens to consumers during a recession, they stay home more. And then they get dogs, right? And when they get dogs, they spend on pet stuff. And then they're going to need parting stones for their pets when they pass. You know, they want better ways to manage their money because they're freaked out about the recession. So the financial industry takes off and financial advisors, you know, people don't vacation, so they want to improve their home. And so suddenly Home Depot does really well. So I do think it is interesting to think about this in the context of a balanced portfolio. And thought it was interesting when Mr. Wonderful brought it up because I hadn't thought about this in the context of recession proof, but it kind of is. Mm -hmm. And they're not doing so bad. As of this episode, they have made $2.5 million. Like this isn't just like your average stone company. It's even got some incredible margins. Get retails, as you mentioned, John, for like $9.95. Well, in the show, they were like, it's for $9.95. And I was like, only $9.95? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. $995. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in terms of margin, we talk about products that are like the cost to make. And I was like, okay, what can I call this? Like the cost to bake a human is like $300, right? I wish I had a retort to <laughs> that, <retort>. Jory. <laughs> I know we're being irreverent, but the point is like they've got incredible margins as well on each cremains that they're creating. Yeah. My biggest concern about this business was actually, would they be able to sell really successfully into what is actually a very fragmented market? Mm. Funeral homes are a very small market business. Mm -hmm. There's like been consolidation in that industry. And there are a couple of private equity firms and larger conglomerate companies that have rolled up a bunch of funeral homes. But I actually think the funeral business is a very local business. Mm -hmm. And and I think something like 90% of funeral homes are still either family or privately owned. And so my biggest concern was like, is he going to be able to get funeral directors to sell this for him? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I learned in talking to my father-in-law is that because of the fact that states regulate funerals so heavily and regulate that industry so heavily, the associations associated with funeral directors tend to be really strong and very active. And so funeral directors tend to be very involved in their statewide funeral directors association. And they have conventions. In fact, my wife, most of her vacationing throughout her childhood was traveling to where funeral director conventions were. That's amazing. But like Greg was like, well, if they showed up at the funeral directors convention in Pennsylvania, they'd meet all the funeral directors. And if they were willing to offer us a big enough cut and it seemed like something that my 
people would be interested in, I would definitely consider adding it to my list of offerings in my funeral home. We're making light of a very sensitive topic, right? And I think that's just a stress response, to be honest. But I was curious, like, besides partnering with local funeral homes, what's the marketing play here? As Gwyneth Paltrow, that was the guest shark, mentioned, like, it's such a sensitive topic. So how do you even start to approach that from a marketing mindset? I think it depends. So if he continues down the route of working with a bunch of family and like mom and pop owned businesses, I think he would have to take a similar approach to something like Invisalign, what they do. They service out their technology. They have different tier levels of partners. So that way they're still working with individual practices. But the route that I actually think he should go is consider selling this more as like a service to a business that already exists. So adding on potentially to like a Chewy, for example, that has all of your pet needs and they can offer like special pet stones. Like if your dog passes away, I see that being more of a viable option, but staying within the B2B side. I forgot this was an option for pets and I was so thrown off when you were like partner with Chewy. I was like, is Chewy in the funeral industry? Oh my God. Do you have too many parting stones? Are you looking to get rid of them? Sorry, I was so thrown off here. That's a super smart idea though. I do agree on some partnerships here. I don't know what his cost to make these stones are without any cremains in them, but if it is affordable and he can do it at scale, this could be an amazing sampling opportunity, which is like send samples to every funeral home. Those funeral directors can give them to people who are coming in and considering what their funeral arrangements are going to be. Mm-hmm. They could touch it. They could feel it. They could bring it home with them. They, it would sit on the counter. It would have the name of the brand on it, et cetera. I think that could actually be an effective strategy here. I have to ask, though, if you had to be made into something, and it can be a parting stone, that's an option. What are you thinking? What's your plans, guys? <laughs> a seed. Oh. Ooh. I want to be planted into like a tree or a You're flower. Tree mix it. my ashes. Yeah. Mix okay. it in with a plant or something. And mm. I've thought this out. That is brilliant, Ariel. Thank you. And then it continues to live on and it does something good for the environment, in theory. So I think I would consider being made into uh, a record. Oh. So that... You could play music. What's your life record? Well, if you really want to get into it, it'd be like my wedding song, like, uh, oh, you know, something like so- that. Talk about a cry fest. Oh. A little Sam Cooke. Tears and Sam Cooke. Oh my God. I feel like there's a Hallmark ending in that somehow. I've told my husband that he's not allowed to die first. So I have to die first. So I have told him I want to be made into a diamond and he is to wear the diamond because I am that petty that like if he marries yes. after me, like you best believe he's going to be wearing the diamond of his first wife forevermore. <laughs> it was interesting. There was a connection there because that's actually why Mark went out. I didn't even know that he had a diamond corpse company on his portfolio, but it, it seemed like Entreneva diamond was like something that Mark has already invested in because this is also a rising industry where like people want to have carbon extracted from their hair and turned into diamonds. And that's also how people are choosing to honor their significant others as well. So we've got a tree, a record and a diamond. Who knew? Mm. But speaking of sharks, we saw kind of like a mixed reaction. I feel like Mark, of course, was like, this is direct competitor issue. What we didn't really mention is that for the first couple of years, this business was not profitable, which was a concern of Barbara. Mm -hmm. Did you have any thoughts about the profit margins of this company? For the price that he's selling it at in a Mm -hmm. recession-proof industry and the number of investors that he had, which if I recall correctly, was around at least 50, I think that he quoted in his pitch, he should not 
be operating at that much of a loss and not having any profitability. There's just no reason in my mind. I assume that the manufacturing process here is actually hard. And I would assume there are Mm -hmm. cost efficiencies as you scale it up. Like, I wish he'd been more explicit about it, though. That's the thing. It left us with a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Is it a process that has economies of scale or is it just something that like, that's just the way it's going to be. And he needs to bring his other costs down. I think his ability to bring his other costs down is going to be very low because he's going to have to give a pretty big margin to the funeral directors. Like, he'll have to mm-hmm. give probably 30 to 40% of the sale as a commission to the funeral director, I think. That's a lot. And so, like, that takes a big chunk off of it. I think it's going to be hard for him to bring his other costs down. So he has to find a way to get his manufacturing process to have economies of scale. That makes sense. So ultimately, though, we actually saw a royalty offer on the table. I felt like a little strange about it because the royalty was like on bodies. It was royalty on bodies. It felt felt dirty. "Mm." Everybody, even the other sharks. Late stage capitalism. It was Barbara. You'd expect it from Kevin. (laughs) Which was such a plot twist. I was like, whoa. She like went Barbara's like, I want $20 a body. And we were like, whoa. (laughs) She is a shark after all. (laughs) For sure. But ultimately, we got a team up of a rare combination. So it was Kevin and Lori that offered $400,000 for 10% with a 20% royalty per order on the direct-to-consumer side, and then $1,250 on B2B orders with the royalty expiring once the $400,000 was repaid. So ultimately, the founder, Justin, did get a deal with Kevin and Lori with a very interesting royalty kind of spin on things and walked away with a short tank deal. Now, I will say this episode just aired, so it is a 2023 Mm. episode. So no company updates from me as of now. So we'll just have to keep a parting look at their business in the coming years. Stones from corpses. Who knew? It's fine. Moving on from death to death to productivity, we have a next in the tank product of Bueller. And this comes to us from Peter. And Peter is asking for $150,000 for 20% in his company, which shakes out to a $750,000 valuation. And Bueller... I've got thoughts because Bueller is this online application where essentially you upload a pre-recorded video of yourself and using a bot, you then send that pre-recorded video to meetings on your behalf. So the entire slogan is log off so you can sleep in and it is essentially what it sounds like. It is a way for you to avoid business meetings and appear as if you're attending them. And he does admit it is a minimum viable product, so there's no way for this to work if someone like actually calls on you in a meeting. It's just literally just pre-recorded video of you kind of shifting and breathing. <laughs> but thinking about this very unique take on bot technology and a little bit of AI technology, thoughts initially about our company, Bueller. Look, there's nothing wrong with relying on technology to make your life a little more efficient and to have a little more productivity in your day to day. Do I think this was marketed in the best way from an ethics perspective? No. But do I think that there is a value to this? Yes, I do. But I see 
John is looking ever so patiently. I ready just to cannot pounce. believe the size of the grin on Ariel's face right now. <laughs> Ariel has the biggest grin. She is so excited about this product. I can't believe it. <laughs> the way that it's positioned around sleeping in and not being productive is the wrong way to go about this. There could be alternative uses for this that fall a little more ethically sound. One being like NVIDIA. They recently came out with being able to leverage AI to ensure that you are looking into your camera when mm. you're like talking and having presentations. Like that's a great use case of AI and video technology. There's companies that will leverage AI to take notes at the end of a meeting, which I would find extremely helpful just for myself and not needing to have a PM in every single one of my calls, but also for students, for classes. Like if you can't attend a class or if you have a disability and you can't take notes, I do see AI and this capability being able to help those that may not have the same abled privileges as we would. But the way that it's marketed around sleep in and like slack off is what I think makes this a very tough sell. I totally agree. I think that I could see the use cases of this, especially for very remote teams. I felt like as a productivity note taker, this had a lot of legs, Mm -hmm. but as a you don't have to do your job kind of app, it was kind of hard to support. First of all, I think that probably 60% of listeners heard this idea and thought, I kind of secretly want that. But for me, this is against everything (laughs) I personally believe in. Like, I don't know. I like to be present on calls. I hate when the people that I'm on calls with are not present. And it's so clear when people are not present. I feel like it's extremely insulting and disrespectful to send a bot to a meeting on your behalf. Is this some sidekick Mm -hmm. that comes with you to Mm -hmm. meetings and like takes notes and like, you know, yada, yada, yada. Or maybe if it had some interactivity, this is literally like pretty low quality video loop that's like uploaded. This is like that episode of The Simpsons where Homer Simpson is on a jury for like a very important trial and he puts Mm -hmm. the glasses that show his eyeballs and falls asleep. And like the bailiff takes the glasses away and then they turn back and he's got more glasses on of this with his eyeballs. It's like, come on. So to me, I'm I'm just, I don't know, this kid. And plus this kid, so many things about it. I hated the pitch. I hated everything about it. Okay. So I will admit it. It took me like way too long to understand why it was named Bueller because yeah, like Ferris Bueller's Mm -hmm. day off. Bueller. Exactly. Bueller. I don't know how much Gen Z knows about Ferris Bueller's day off. Yeah. I would like everybody to know that this question we have about whether Ferris Bueller's day off is popular with Gen Z is not unique to us. There's an actual (laughs) entire Reddit thread on, is Ferris Bueller's day off a popular movie for your generation? And? (laughs) Uh, I think Ferris would probably be associated with a Ferris wheel more than the movie. I like it. My parents like it more than me, but I wouldn't immediately think of it if I heard the name. I can't speak for my generation as a whole, but I have seen it several times. Nice. So. Mixed bag. If kids are still required to read Catcher in the Rye, they're going to know what Ferris Bueller is. This is not. No, 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 no. Strike that from the record. How dare you? (laughs) My question is, is like, when is pop culture branding okay? Or when is it like potentially a little too niche to do the job well? If it took me a minute and like I've seen that movie, maybe people aren't connecting the dots. I have a few thoughts here. One with the spelling. I mean, obviously it wasn't the exact same way that you would spell like Ferris Bueller's last name. So like there is more of that disconnect. 
too, there's nothing wrong with wanting to name your brand or your business with an idea or a concept that's already built in market. But what you need to worry about at that point is your brand safety and equity, right? So anytime that you have a celebrity or even a fictional character in another universe that you're building your business off of, you know, there's always that risk of you're tying your brand and your business with this single person's image. So if they do something that is reckless or kind of against some of your brand values, that's ultimately going to be a ding on you. So it wasn't necessarily the name turned me off entirely. I get what they were going for, but it's more of what is the risk? There's definitely brand risk, Ariel. I totally agree. The other thing though is it like, it sends a very big signal about who your target market is. And I guess Mm -hmm. the thing is, if you're naming it after Ferris Bueller, you're basically saying this product is targeted at a middle-aged male. Mm -hmm. Like that's actually the target for Ferris Bueller's day off, right? So it sends a big signal about who your target is, which just like then lands in the positioning ladder of people's heads of, oh, that's some product for like, you know, older men. The other thing is pop culture tends to be pretty short-lived. You know, if you're generalizing to name things after pop culture, it's like pretty risky. Pop culture, to your point, Ariel, it ebbs back and forth between being something like in vogue and something bad and takes on new meanings over time. Like culture is a very powerful force. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I would never name my product after an actual like pop culture reference. And, you know, you mentioned his personality, John. I I feel like based on the product, you can kind of get a sense of like the young buck that's presenting this to the sharks. But as of this pitch, this app has 92,000 users, which just makes me mean, like I'm going to be looking at my team's eyeballs in meetings now, but it's only making $1,000 a month. And so the founder wasn't too concerned with that, but Sometimes when you grow the user base with no way to monetize them, you get into issues down the road when you try to scale or like grow as a business. I think there are like very good reasons to grow users before revenue, but it is entirely market dependent. So if you were in a market and have a product that has a very high network effect, where the value of the product gets stronger with each user that participates in the network, then you should obsess about user acquisition way ahead of monetization because you want to make the product as valuable as possible as quickly as possible. There's also considerations around if you need first mover advantage. If you believe this is a product that's going to be replicated a bunch and has very low barriers to entry for other companies to build, then you might want to try and build a barrier to entry around how many users you have. Or it could be a winner-takes-all market where basically the majority of the benefits of the market flow to the market share leader. So if it's one of those, I think you would obsess about user acquisition ahead of revenue. I don't think this falls into any of those camps, and I probably would just charge for it up front, especially given the fact that it probably will have limited utility over time, and I bet his retention will be extremely low. I would probably focus on revenue capture up front, even if that meant fewer overall people using it. I wish he would have went into what are his reoccurring users or like monthly active users as opposed to people who just used it for a single edge case or for a certain meeting. Well, I assume they all lose their jobs, Ariel, so they'd have to no longer keep their subscription. (laughs) Yeah, they have a high churn rate. (laughs) The product itself is so limited from a functionality perspective that I felt like if they were going to offer more things like a note-taking service or, you know, eye correction or something along those lines, then it would make more sense to lean into audience. But because there is only one real use case for this technology that's been built out and the guy seemed pretty 
lackadaisical about his uh, plans. You know, it just seemed, uh, yeah, like there wasn't really much opportunity for it to scale and grow. I have a good ending to this story. So ultimately, if you just stop at like where Shark Tank stops, you've got the sharks responding that this is problematic. It's got integrity issues. There's potential compliance issues. And they had no offers. But one thing that Mark had said is like, hey, you should maybe think about going back to school. Even though there was no offer and this business didn't look like it was on the upshoot, Peter actually ended up listening to Mark's advice and did end up completing his computer science degree in 2022 in Tulane. So that's wholesome. Did go back to school, kind of took that advice. The business is still around. It's Hmm. rebranded from log off and sleep in to zoom out and snooze in and say goodbye to manual notes and online meetings because now it's It's gone AI. Mm -hmm. It's gone AI assistant. Exactly. So it's trying to like reposition itself as a business productivity app. Ultimately, it does seem like this is a case where we just shredded it as a business and so did the sharks. But it seems like on the up and up, the guys like taking advice and going back to school and try to rebrand to be a more productive member of business. I mean, I'm glad to hear that they're actually leaning in more towards like an AI assistant lens and, you know, wishing him the best luck. And hopefully it continues to be, you know, further fleshed out and defined so it has a unique position in the market. AI can do a lot. (laughs) Well, last in the tank, we have a product that is just not related to that at all. And that product (laughs) is Sunflow. And Sunflow is a modern revamp on a stale product. And it comes to us from founders Leslie and Greg Bresner, who are former and current fashion bag designers. And they are asking for a million dollars for a 6% stake in their company, which is a $16.6 million valuation. And their problem they're here to solve is that beach chairs are just clunky and outdated and who wants to carry them? So their product is Sunflow, which is a premium, innovative beach brand. And it is a beach chair that collapses easy at a press of a button and it contains a canopy and it's very fashion forward and functional. And I can already tell that John loves this product. It's so So cool. So thinking about our product, (laughs) it's just a button, John. I love buttons. I'll push buttons all day. So John likes the buttons. I like the buttons. I like the design. I like the add-ons. You like the design. It's fine. I like well-designed stuff. But here's the thing. This is why I was immediately like, I'm out. Because the whole thing about this product and how they positioned it was like, look at this chair and it comes with a canopy and it comes with like a drink holder and it comes with this dry bag. If you buy them, if you want the chair itself, it's $198. But then if you want any of the other cool features, oh, it's another $60 there. It's another $25 there. Another $25 there. It so it's like- brilliant. No. It's brilliant. They're going to make no, so much John. money. It's a great business. They had a stat like 70 or 80% of people purchase all the add-ons. Because they want the additional features. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like people are like, oh, like it's an I'm not going to do it. People are actually paying for it. It's an incredible way to make a ton of money on a beach chair. Uh, so that begs the question, when is a product a good fit for like an add-on model versus an all-in-one model? I'm probably not the target audience for this, but I would expect similar purchases within that category to get everything in one. It's when you introduce something that I can literally buy all in one, but now you're telling me there's an add-on component that I'm not as inclined. Ariel, it is not a chair. It is a beach experience device. (laughs) It's almost like you work in marketing. (laughs) Uh, Okay. It is very, very, very well known that consumers do not like to be nickel and dimed. Right. And I think the best companies 
do not get in the habit of constantly saying it actually costs more than you think it costs. I would say, though, like that rule set tends to apply for things that happen after the purchase. I don't think anybody minds looking at a menu of options and selecting what they want. I think it's different if when you got to the beach, you sat down in your chair and you went to put your bottle into your cup holder and the cup holder was blocked and it said, please insert credit card to, (laughs) you know, unlock, which by the way is what some companies do. Like BMW right now has turned their car into a subscription model. And if you want the seat warmers, you have to pay a monthly subscription. That is the kind of add-on that I absolutely hate. But I don't mind having a menu up front and being able to select what experience I want and how much I'm willing to pay for it. I would have loved to see them show like, what do you have for camping? What do you have for high chairs for kids at restaurants? I wanted this pitch to be more of, this is a patent that we have on making these things more efficient. But counterpoint, it's made 2.9 million in 13 months, right? So there's clearly a beach market. Who are these people? Like, I want to know. I think they're really focused on like the beach market right now. I think this is an instance of a company that's trying to do one thing great before expanding. No, but they're limiting themselves to a certain audience. But that brings up our debate that we always have. Like, Mm -hmm. when do you need to expand your product range or when do you really need to go deep on one? My sense is that they should master the chair market for now. They make a great margin on this with all the add-ons that they're doing. I think they're going to make a ton of money per chair and they should just get awesome at selling these chairs. Their valuation was a little high. They asked for a $16.5 million valuation. And I think that ended up really hurting them in the negotiations. Speaking of valuations and deals, even though they completely snubbed Daniel, Daniel offered a million dollars for 22.2%. They didn't even acknowledge this offer. They just steamrolled right over him. Didn't even try to counter it. They were like just talking to Kevin. So again, clearly they had a dream shark, but ultimately they did snag a deal with Kevin for a million dollars for 5% with a $5 royalty per chair until that million dollar was paid back. It looks like they uh, walked away with the deal. So quick company update. Despite this deal with Kevin, a few weeks after taping this episode, it actually fell through. Wow. That said, they did raise $3.5 million from other investors. So very much still in business, still innovating, still shipping product. So very much alive. We've gotten a slew of products today. We've got a parting stone. We've got a Bueller and we have Sunflow. So we have a chair, a stone and a app. Thinking about each of these products, Ariel, you can go first. Who gets your golden bite? As much as I am not a fan of the principles that it is supporting in the greater market. I know what you're choosing. (laughs) I do have to give it to Sunflow. I mean, any company that's able to make more money in addition to like a base product or like an everyday item is pretty Mm. successful. So I'm glad to hear that they were able to actually get investment after the show. So you wouldn't buy it, but you would potentially invest in it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would invest, but I would never buy that sounds terrible. I would not never buy. <laughs> That's Sorry. the golden bite in a in a nutshell. John, who is your golden bite? I gotta go down the path of my father-in-law. I'm going parted stone. You know, we made a lot of jokes about it, but I actually think seeing innovation and how people are memorialized is actually pretty cool. And I like that entrepreneurs are trying to build cool businesses segment. around it. I think that's actually mm-hmm. like a pretty noble thing that not a lot of people talk about that much because death is pretty passe. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's cool. So I'm going with Parting Stone. I think for me, I'm definitely with John with Parting Stone. So 
I think that anytime that you can take something that's really uncomfortable to talk Mm -hmm. about and then turn it into at least a more comfortable topic, if not a funny one like we did, I think you've got something there. And I think that there is an inevitability that everyone at one point is going to need to think about death, at least if not a family member, someone close to them, then in a pet, right? So like getting people talking about something that is just going to touch their lives in one way and then doing it in a slightly different way than is tradition. I just think it's like a cool, innovative way to talk about an uncomfortable topic. And for that reason, Mm. yeah, it's got my golden bite. Jory's in. But yeah, so parting stone. Anywho, that's all for me. That's all for us. That does it for us this week. I want to thank our Oz behind the curtain, Matthew Brown. Additional support for the show comes from Melanie Romero and Robert Hartwig. And thanks to the HubSpot Podcast Network for keeping the mics on. Subscribe to the show. Tell your family, your friends, that guy you walked by on the street the other day. No, not the one with the cut-off sleeve t-shirt. Ugh, pass on that first interaction. The other one, the one with the dog. Ugh, a dog. Okay, that's it for me. See you next week for another bite. Oh, and you're my favorite. Don't forget that. (laughs) 